You're listening to episode one of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I wasn't prepared to go through such a monumental life change without my friends and family by my side. And I mean that literally, like literally by my side. There's a reason that they say it takes a village to raise a child. Welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, a place where you just might find or hear a tiny piece of your motherhood reality. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, an educator, writer, and emotionally frazzled toddler mom. If you've ever felt lonely in your motherhood journey or asked yourself, am I the only one experiencing this? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each episode focuses on a different but common motherhood struggle, where we discuss the ups, the downs, and the WTFs with moms from all around the world. So whether you're stroller pushing and podcasting yourself around the neighborhood, waiting at the doctor's office for your next fertility treatment, or listening with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end of another full day of motherhood, welcome. I hope you can relate to some of what you hear in today's episode, and get ready to raise your hand if you do. Hey mamas, I'm your host Raylan Minka and I want to say thank you for being curious enough to listen into the very first episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. The idea for this podcast was born out of the struggles, both expected and unexpected, that come part and parcel with motherhood. And if your motherhood crash course hormonal roller coaster experience was anything like mine, then you've probably had your fair share of moments that left you feeling uncertain, overwhelmed, we need a new word for overwhelmed. Exhausted beyond exhaustion and emotionally depleted. I'm only a year and a half into my own motherhood journey, and I can't even tell you the number of times I've thought, why didn't somebody tell me about this before? It's true that there's no amount of preparation that you can do in advance to prepare you for the reality of motherhood. Actually, I think that part might be intentional, like there's some kind of protective mechanism in place until you actually have a tiny human being in your arms. And then the curtain gets fully pulled back and those knowledgeable moms around you quietly usher you into the club of motherhood. But even though we're literally surrounded by people who have gone through this experience themselves, motherhood can leave you feeling surprisingly lonely. But discovering that you aren't actually alone in your experience, well, that's the magic sauce right there. That's the secret ingredient that's going to help any struggling mom. And that's what I want this podcast to provide for you because I know that's what I needed when I became a mom. It's what I still need on a pretty regular basis, actually. Support, community, and the knowledge that I don't have to navigate the WTF moments of motherhood all on my own. The mission of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast is to normalize talking about the struggles of motherhood, to have honest conversations with moms experiencing all those things you wondered if you were the only one feeling. Women from every walk of life, living all over the world, raising their hands and saying, I'm experiencing this, or I felt that way too. Each episode is going to highlight a different shared motherhood experience or struggle and feature informative, relatable interviews with experts in their fields and conversations with the moms on the ground who have either already braved the storm or are currently surfing that wave of motherhood themselves. It's my opinion that the more we openly share our stories from one mother to another to another, the less alone we will all feel in our own motherhood journeys. So the plan today is to share a little bit more about myself, my motherhood story so far, and how I ended up here behind the microphone talking to you. Now, they say you should share about what you know, so today's episode will be focusing on pandemic pregnancies and postpartum experiences. 
I'll talk about what it was like to grow a human, prepare for motherhood, and navigate the world as a new parent in the middle of a global pandemic. And you'll hear some stories and thoughts from other moms around the world who went through the same experience, but in their own unique situations and circumstances. Later in the episode, I'll be interviewing the most incredible and supportive woman, Liza Dula. At least, that's what I call her, and it's how I've had her programmed into my phone since our very last-minute decision to hire a birth doula before the arrival of our son. This wasn't something that was even on my radar at all until the final months of my pregnancy, but having a doula ended up being such a comfort, both for me and for my husband with the pandemic raging on. Liza and I will be talking about what exactly a doula is. I wasn't really sure either at first. Her career pivot and curious journey into the profession, as well as her experiences working with soon-to-be and new moms throughout the pandemic while, drumroll please, pregnant herself. Liza welcomed her own little baby girl in early 2021, and I'll ask her all about what she's learned, what she struggles with, as well as some of the mother must-haves that have gotten her through these crazy couple of years. Okay, Mama, stick with me. We'll be right back. This is a non-ad, but it is a personal motherhood recommendation. Each episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast will feature my guests' must-haves for motherhood, the thing that got them, their babe, or their family through the thick of it. My must-have for today's episode highlights a Canadian female-run brand based out of Vancouver, B.C., Smash Tess. If you ask me, it should be part of the package handed to new moms as they leave the hospital. Here you go, some extra strength Advil, some meds to prevent constipation, no, seriously, take those, some extra, extra pairs of mesh underwear, and a romper that you can be prepared to love and live in for the next few weeks or months. Not sure what a smash test romper is? Well, it's only the most comfortable thing you can slide your body into, especially postpartum. And they're cute, and they can be styled up or styled down. My personal favorite is the Romperall. It's a super soft overall type experience that just makes me feel all the warm fuzzies when I wear them. So if you're in search of a new mom uniform, click the referral link in the show notes, head over to smashtest.com and select your version. Comfy mom, sexy mom, squirrel pant mom. Yeah, that's a thing. Oh, and while you're at it, tell them Raylan Minka sent you. Maybe they'll send me a new pair of Romperalls in the mail. A mom can dream. When I first learned I was pregnant in a city, province, a country, far, far away from my family, I relied on the knowledge that the ones I would need were only a flight away. And then, out of nowhere, my pregnancy nausea suddenly coincided with the start of a global pandemic. And as I moved from bed to couch and back again, flights in and out and across were halted, grounded. But surely, I thought, surely our family will be able to visit by the birth Surely our loved ones can share that special time with us, because that's what happens when babies are born. Families come together and hug and coo and ooh and ah. But flights remained grounded, so we hired a doula in the 11th hour, somebody to be our family for and in that crucial moment, those crucial days afterward. And in the days and weeks and months that followed, we were our son's bubble. There were no hugs from grandparents. No cuddles with friends, no mom and baby groups. But we did the best we could to fill those voids as we clambered up the steep learning curve of parenthood. It wasn't how we planned it or how we imagined it would be, 
nobody could have ever foreseen that ours would be a pandemic pregnancy. This, my friends, is my story. My entry into motherhood and the beginnings of the very podcast you're currently listening to. As I mentioned in the intro to the episode, my pregnancy and postpartum happened to coincide with the global pandemic. I got pregnant in early 2020, right before the pandemic happened, and it came with its own new and separate set of struggles and definitely intensified the feelings that I was having throughout pregnancy and as a new mom. As you can imagine, or maybe as you experienced yourself, it was really challenging to navigate pregnancy with the worry, the uncertainty, the social distancing that came after the pandemic started. It was a really lonely time. And I wasn't prepared to go through such a monumental life change without my friends and family by my side. And I mean that literally, like literally by my side. There's a reason that they say it takes a village to raise a child. I know that fourth trimester, which I didn't really know was a thing, by the way, until I was practically entering mine, can be trying, it can be exhausting, can be very eye-opening. But when I got pregnant in early 2020, I didn't expect that I would be going through those first months as a new mom without anybody else aside from my husband. I'd already gone almost my entire pregnancy without seeing people. If it weren't for social media, there would have been a lot of surprised folks to see me pushing a baby around in a stroller in 2021. I had an idea in my head of what being pregnant might look like or, or feel like, and I just felt like I was missing out on a lot of that experience during the pandemic. We told our parents and family over Zoom that we were pregnant, and hoped that they'd be able to visit by the birth. My husband didn't get to go to any of my midwife appointments, and he wanted to. <laughs> I went through morning sickness alone during the earliest days of lockdown in 2020. I was working from home, which at least meant that I could work from my bed, showering just often enough and putting on just enough makeup so that my students zooming into my classes wouldn't think something was terribly, terribly wrong with me. I felt pretty awful, but I didn't feel that they needed to see that. I remember feeling upset and shame, if I'm being really honest, when I had to start taking prescribed medication to counteract the nausea that just seemed all-consuming for months and months. Thankfully, my pregnancy sickness, and let's please stop calling it morning sickness because it's not just a morning thing for a lot of women, it subsided somewhere around month four or five, and I proceeded to have a relatively quote-unquote normal pregnancy, although what's normal about literally growing a human being from scratch inside of your body? It's like a superpower. After the birth, with the exception of my midwives and our incredible doula, whom I mentioned we hired at the very last minute and you'll hear from later, Nobody else even held our son or got within three feet of him for the first five months of his life. And after that, it was only immediate family. There were no cuddles with aunts and uncles, cousins, my oldest and dearest friends. The closest we got to this were brief glances over medical masks and waves from across rooms or parking lots. It was not good. I truly do not wish social distancing or two people per household limits on any new parent. It sucked. It really sucked. My husband and I just craved connection for our little guy, and for ourselves, let's be honest too, and we wanted to be close to family as soon as we possibly could. So let me back up just a little bit for you, give you a little bit of context. I met my partner in 2018 while I was teaching abroad in Europe. He's German, and I'm Canadian, and after a few years of dating, we made a decision together to move somewhere new for an adventure. 
We debated between a few cities and we eventually settled on Vancouver, BC. I had lived there before, um, but it just seemed to match the lifestyle that we both wanted for ourselves. And the general plan was this. We would go to Canada for three to five years, possibly try and start a family while we were there and then reassess after that. Well, Canada certainly provided a number of adventures. And to briefly name a few, we got married aboard a water taxi in Vancouver as the grand finale of a surprise scavenger hunt we took my parents on while they were visiting over Christmas break. We honeymooned and cold water surfed together in Tofino, BC in early 2020. And we discovered that I was pregnant on our very first Canadian Valentine's Day. Oh, and then we lived through a global pandemic along with the rest of the country and the world. Crazy times. After the birth of our son in October 2020, my husband and I had to do some serious thinking and reevaluating. We'd spent the majority of the pregnancy and the pandemic together alone, and we came to the conclusion that being close to family trumped everything else at that point. We'd always intended on returning to Europe at some point in the future, so the obvious choice for us was Germany. And thus began our process of moving back across the Atlantic Ocean less than two years after we moved to Vancouver. Ugh. It took months of planning, appointments, tears, more uncertainty, all while learning how to care for this new tiny human we had by ourselves. It was, it was a lot. When moving day finally came, we boarded our first ever flight as a family, and we began a four-month transitional period, quarantining, staying with family members in Ontario, and then repeating the process again in Germany as we slowly secured and started setting up a new home here in Europe again. Needless to say, I haven't set aside a whole lot of time to fill my own tank throughout these past few years, and I've really felt it. Mentally, emotionally, physically, at times I've just been running on empty, a common scenario for new parents I've learned. So many days throughout this pandemic have just felt like an out-of-body experience for me as I try to process the last two years of my life. I have to remind myself daily that I'm reintegrating back into a foreign culture and country and trying to learn a second language all as a new mom. Talk about overwhelm. There's also excitement, though, a lot of excitement for our future here in Europe, but I struggle a lot with the mental loads of motherhood compounded by pandemic aftermath and all the recent changes in my life. We've been back in Europe for almost a year already, and I have to check in with myself every single day. I often wonder if I could be doing more as a mom or how I could learn to cope better, and the list goes on and on. And these are ongoing questions to which my answers change every single day. I know my struggles are unique to me and my situation, but we're all carrying our own loads as mothers. I wanted to share some stories from other moms I know that went through their own pandemic experiences and entries into motherhood. Neve from Australia had some really difficult personal experiences leading up to her pandemic pregnancy, and this is what she shared about it. Pandemic pregnancy impacted me a lot as someone who suffered severe trauma leading up to the pandemic with the loss of my husband and my mother six months earlier. Pregnancy was really hard for me. I was dealing with raw emotions, now pair that with a pandemic. In Australia, we weren't allowed to travel more than five kilometres, and I lived two hours away from my father and three hours away from my in-laws. It was all too much. I didn't get to have a baby shower as we weren't allowed to have one. In fact, my baby is five months old now, and she still hasn't met some of my friends or family. Rules were really strict here. 
I couldn't have my partner at my hospital visits and he wasn't allowed with any scans. They also advised us that after my baby was born, he wouldn't be allowed in the hospital. He could only be there for two hours and then he would have to leave. This made us decide to go private so we could pay for the peace of mind, knowing that he would be there and get to stay with me after she was born. It was very hard and I felt very alone and very isolated. Victoria from Canada wrote about trying to find the silver linings in her pandemic pregnancy and postpartum experience. She had the following to say. One of the hardest parts of a pandemic pregnancy and birth for me was coming home with our little girl and really having to set boundaries for family members and friends who were looking to visit. Our grandparents had to meet their grandbaby for the very first time at a distance, outside, and without any opportunity to hold her. Eventually, we did allow it, but only after asking them to isolate for a week and asking them to get a COVID test, which felt like a lot, but they were happy to oblige. When she was born, I felt an immediate sense of needing to protect her, and we weren't going to risk anything. The inability to ask for help when we needed it during those first few months was really hard on us. There were times that my partner was working over 12-hour long days, and I was extremely sleep-deprived. I would have done just about anything to have someone over to watch my daughter while I caught up on some sleep. Finally, another Canadian mama living abroad in New Zealand shared this about her pandemic pregnancy. Uh, My baby was born August 31st, 2021, which was level four lockdown here in Auckland, New Zealand. I'm a Canadian, and so I was obviously living abroad when I had my baby. Luckily, my partner is a Kiwi, so his mum was here about 20 minutes away. I was disappointed that my birthing story wouldn't be normal and that certain aspects would be different because of the pandemic. You never get to have this experience back. There's no redos. I'm never going to be a first-time mom again. The hardest part for me was the inability to share both my pregnancy and the birth and the beginnings of my baby's life with my family and friends. I really wanted them around. I would have loved to have my mom fly over here and be with us for the first few weeks and maybe even be here for her birth. Um, It's kind of something you dream of from being a child, I suppose, is having your mom there. Uh, We were in full lockdown, so no one was able to come and meet our daughter when she was still tiny. And those moments are really special and she'll never be that small again. And the only people who were able to experience that were my partner and I, which was tough. Not only that, but being in isolation is tough as it is, and it was even harder to be navigating new parenthood without any help from our family or friends, even just to vent to or to cook us meals or to just be there around us so we could have a shower or talk. Becoming a mom was the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me in my life, and I wanted to scream and shout and show her off to the world, and I just couldn't do that. I'd like to take a second now to thank these three ladies for sharing their stories on the first episode of the podcast. When we come back, I'll interview Liza randolph Hunwick, or as I like to call her, our lovely Liza Dula. Being a doula, we were kind of in, well, we could have this exception of, okay, we're accepting, we'll be invited into, into each other's yeah. bubble. Yeah. And it was some of the very few people that we were exception to it would be like okay we're gonna hug because yeah, you just had huge. a baby that was so huge <laughs> so for those of you who aren't entirely sure what a doula is or does don't worry i've got you covered a doula is by definition a professional labor assistant who provides physical and emotional support to you and your partner during pregnancy childbirth and the postpartum period a doula is not a medical professional, but they are prepared and well-trained in the protocols for childbirth, whether at home, in the hospital, 
or at a birth center. Doulas act as a liaison between the medical practitioners and the expectant mother. So the very first guest I'm welcoming to the podcast today happened to be my birth doula. Her name is Liza Randolph Hunwick. She supported many other women through their own pandemic pregnancies and postpartum experiences in 2020, all while pregnant herself. She's a yoga teacher for new moms and moms-to-be and a toddler mom to a very smiley one-year-old. I think her email signature says it best. A doula is like a trail guide. Familiar with the path, she keeps you hiking through the hard parts, knowing the view at the end is incredible. So without further ado, let's welcome Liza to the show. Hello, Liza, and welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. Hello, I'm Ray. so glad that we could catch up. It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah, it it's has been. been such a busy year and a half. Yeah, you've had a pretty busy year, too. <laughs> yes, I have. So I want to start off by talking about your experience becoming a doula. Can you tell me a little bit about your previous career? Because I did not know so much about what you used to do and how you made the decision to pivot in your life and become a doula. I was an architect before, so quite a pivot to birth work, to say the least. To say the least. Um, although, oddly enough, in my architecture work, I worked on a lot of healthcare design, and I did work on a maternity unit many oh, years ago when I when I first <clears throat> when I first moved to Canada. So when I first was getting into doula work and navigating hospitals, I thought, well, maybe, you know, just in retrospect, looking back, maybe that's how that's my path that I had to do those things to then wind up here. My path to getting to doula work is really through my yoga work. So I did my yoga training and then a year later did a prenatal yoga training to have more of a niche for my yoga work. And it was in prenatal yoga training that I met doulas for the first time. So it was new to me too. So that was um, in 2013. And um, now where we are now, that seems like a long time ago when in the before <laughs> times when life was easier. Yeah. So I met doulas for the first time, didn't know what they were. And stayed in touch with one in particular. And so that's when the seed was planted about what doulas were. And then that okay. woman, we went for coffee once and she she asked, would you ever want to be a doula? And I, it kind of, at the time I wasn't ready for that, but it did plant the seed of um, maybe. So then three years later, I did a doula training and started working right away. But the, so the, with the prenatal yoga, I was teaching people during the pregnancy and then I people started asking do you teach any classes with your babies so then I started teaching baby yoga so I kind of was bridging the gap between the pregnancy and then once they resurfaced life with baby but there was always that kind of few month disappearing act where I wouldn't see people because they'd have their baby and wouldn't start coming to yoga with their baby for a couple months and then the doula training for me was really what connected all the dots of what was the training like to become a doula so the training um so there's a there's a variety of trainings you can do but the training i did was here in vancouver called wise women way of birth um and it was a four-day training so like a long weekend <laughs> which feels pretty short um and and often people need the uh, distinguishing factor of what's the difference between a doula and a midwife. And a big difference is that a midwife um, goes to four years of training. So, you know, a doula, we do get training, but we're not a 
professional i mean we are working in a professional capacity but we don't have exams and professional accreditation things you know so it is different in that sense so how many moms in total rough estimate if you're not exactly sure have you worked mm-hmm. with us in a doula capacity and am i right in in thinking or remembering that we were your last clients before mm-hmm. you went off on your own leave mm-hmm yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think it's 43, or maybe I was the 43rd. So, uh, 40-some births. So, it's not a, there are doulas out there. It's, you know, in the hundreds or maybe hit a thousand. Um, so, not at that level, but um, 40 is still a lot that I've seen a variety. It so, is. Yeah. And what's, what's your favorite part about what you do? Like, you've worked with, you've seen 40... Mm. Births, 40 babies being delivered. What's... Um, I like the power of birth. I like the intensity of it. I haven't found much else that's just that raw power of the human being. And, you know, there's there's pretty few things in this world where now, today, you're just tapped into that intuitive knowing just this is how your body is built to right. do this thing. And... Um, the the biggest challenge is when we, our heads get too much in the way and we yeah. overthink it. So if we can keep the mind out of overthinking it and let the body do, then it can do really powerful things. It's just the power. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think, what's kept drawing me back. And so having shared my previous work life as an architect, I don't know, nothing to all architects out there that it gives them that power and that in inspiration but it it never was that for me so um yeah it's like you're on call and waiting for someone to go into labor and then once you're in it it's like okay this takes however long it takes everything else goes on the back yeah yeah, however long it takes everything else goes on the back burner and it and then from my yoga work just like being in my my own yoga practice as a individual um inviting you into the present moment it's like birth for me nothing else challenges that like you have to come in and be there and in a doula training you know a lot of i remember jessica would talk a lot about you know on your way from your home to going and joining your client whatever your process is to kind of clear the slate whether you're actually sending a few less messages for logistics and coordination or whatever but then it's always still worth taking the time to do like three deep breaths before you actually cross the threshold and enter whether you're joining them at home or if they're already at the hospital in that room um but really you know doing what you can it'll invite you in to be really present but if you can come into it being present then you serve your client way better yeah absolutely when you think yeah that you're entering this space where they are somewhere in one of the most powerful, important, life-changing processes and, and you know, mm-hmm. moments of their lives. And so coming into that, mm-hmm. yeah, it must be feel like such an honor to be welcomed into that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, lots, uh, I would say, you know, you're coming into a sacred space and other doulas might use that lingo too. But yeah, I think it's absolutely that. And um yeah, every every client I've ever worked with, you know, the words easily come of thank you for inviting right. me into your space. Like that is it's and everyone you interview with doesn't hire you. Like, sure, you want to have a pretty good return rate, but it's um you want it to really be a good 
match in a fit because you're not inviting any if you're about to have a baby it's a powerful but also exposing vulnerable state potentially so you're not wanting anyone under the sun to be there so it has to um you know ideally you you choose well and it feels right and the people that are there when you have that transformative experience are who you really want there and like help hold you up and help you feel powerful in it as well okay I want to talk about what the role looked like before the pandemic and how it changed afterwards. The biggest difference or a big turning point was just um, everyone was navigating this unknown waters. So doulas included, not just people about to have a baby. So I think clients were leaning on their doula or ideally for, you know, an extra source of information and um, and I remember as any client was getting close, I was rereading the information to find out what are the new rules, you know, and at least within these private doula conversations, we could get pretty quickly, like who's been at this hospital this week, you know, you could get the, um, right, yeah. the latest info, which was really helpful. But yeah, I think, gosh, but things were changing yeah, so quickly all the time. Yeah, Things like- are changing really fast. And, um, so it was, as a doula, there was times when it, it was more tiring as a doula, just the like mental prep work of, okay, do we have all our, um, and fortunately here, which maybe we'll elaborate on this more later, but um, in Vancouver, the the major hospitals here in the city, doulas were always welcome. I mean, there were doulas in, you know, more leadership roles in the doula services association doula groups that were advocating that we are essential to people which hospitals in the you know surrounding area not that wasn't the case through the entire province here so there's gone through some evolution and then you know other places in the world where definitely no doulas if let alone no partner in the room which is really still very hard for me to imagine but um that was happening so many places so i'd say the the biggest difference was this you know this whole new chapter of information that everybody was learning on the fly and so i think just more reassurance to people um and then as i was working with other clients you know i was maybe i was now at the at the hospital recently so i've seen it firsthand and know what to expect and sure like if a few more weeks roll by then things could tweak ever so slightly but um yeah i think clients were leaning on me as an in the know like on the pulse insider knowledge you know and and among these doula back channels so that was one avenue and then as anyone going into their birthing experience even people that are feeling really calm and confident of their ability, there may still be this kind of trepidation in the final days. So that part was similar of, you know, clients need just knowing they have their person, their doula. Yes. They, I mean, not everybody has a a partner going into the experience, but assuming there's a partner of some sort, whether it's the father of the child or a close family member, someone coming into the room, a doula is also that reassurance for you. So that part was still similar. Just there was probably everyone was on this slightly higher level of 
holding of stress. That was just new standard. So let's switch gears then. And I want to ask you about your own fertility journey and pandemic pregnancy and how you saw that sort of aligning with with people that you were working with or other friends and family um, that you knew at the time who were also pregnant. So um, our fertility journey was meandering. I'll use that word. So we did not get pregnant easily. We were open to getting pregnant and having a baby, but it did not happen immediately. And so uh, all in all, it was a couple year meandering process. Um, For me, uh, I did a lot of acupuncture. My acupuncture has been in my life a long time. She happens to have a fertility focus. So when we got closer to wanting to have a baby, we up the ante on talking about fertility stuff in my sessions with her. So she was pretty integral. We weren't getting pregnant. We weren't getting signs that, you know, there's any reason we shouldn't be getting pregnant just it wasn't connecting. So we got, we went very close to going the IVF route. We were, we were in conversation with the fertility clinic here. Um, very close, like, in talks of, okay, so we're ready to go when you are. Just let us know when your next day one. So for people listening, when you're charting your cycle, day one would be when you have your period. So when that, that then your cycle restarts. So we were ready to do that. And then I never had my day one. Okay. That's when I got pregnant. So we basically had our final meeting with the fertility clinic sometime in May. And we joke that within days or even that day is probably when we conceived. That too is part of my doula journey of hearing so many vastly different stories of how people come to being pregnant when then I meet them, you know, so there's some really straightforward or we weren't even planning this. Now we're pregnant kind of thing to years of a process. So we thought we were um, very nearly doing IVF and then we conceived naturally. And I feel like for me, it was great for my body to have that time, those few years to prep and get healthier and like healthier, quote unquote, can mean so many things. But in my work with my acupuncturist, like just getting everything firing as well as it could, you know, the, that includes, you know, like fitness and other things to be helping your body be healthy, so to speak, you know, making sure my iron was in a good level, taking other supplements Just making sure everything is like at its optimum so that once you're pregnant, your body is ready to support a pregnancy. Um, And as far as I know, I never had a pregnancy that miscarried. Um, You know, there's also that journey, too, which we as far as we know, we just it never connected. By the time I finally got pregnant, then the pregnancy went really smoothly. So looking back, it's like, okay, my body just needed time to get ready for this. And um, yeah, sometimes when people are experiencing miscarriage, it too is a way of body, your body preparing and like your body is really smart. I do believe that, that it's, it knows when it's time to hold and create this life there. And if the body's not ready for whatever the circumstances are, then it will know that. Once I got pregnant, um, my pregnancy went really smoothly. And I, there was a part of me having worked with families, I was getting really eager to start our own family, which had its own emotional storyline. 
But I was just getting very, very curious to witness and experience pregnancy for myself and then ultimately, you know, experience birth. So that was becoming really, really important to me. And um, so I feel really thankful I was able to experience it. And though we were prepared mentally slash financially to go the IVF route if we needed to, it was nice. It was, that's an understated word, but it was wonderful that it happened naturally and then it went smoothly and yeah. So Ray got to see Skylar at the beginning of this. So she's a a, a feisty and spunky little 14 month old now <laughs> who's walking and oh. getting into all sorts of trouble all the time. Oh, so. I can relate. I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Has, has becoming a mom changed the way that you view your job as a doula at all? And how, I, I, I'm not sure if you are seeing clients. I, I don't think that you are. I, I took one repeat client okay. um, last fall. Um, but I like you when you were in Canada, not having family nearby, it's, um, it's proven to be very challenging of how we, how I do on call work without nearby family. Yeah. I've determined most doulas who've gone back to it quickly have family in town that they can call on in a pinch. And we just, we don't have that. We are both expats that here. Makes sense. So, well, yeah. my husband is a citizen here now as well, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> we don't have. So I, I'm eager to go back to it eventually. Cause I feel now that I've had my own experience, I feel I would talk to certain things differently with clients. And though it never felt hindering that I hadn't given birth myself, like the people hiring me yourself included, no one was like, oh, she must not know what she's talking about because she's not done it before. That never came up. But um, I do think I have, you know, just like one more blip of knowledge or can just speak to it a bit differently from a firsthand perspective. Um, so I think primarily it will change how I uh, certain conversations about prep and then personally juggling a family of our own will change how we juggle logistics, but that's not really the heart of the doula work, but just the practicality aspect of it. <laughs> so speaking about juggling a family of your own, what has surprised you the most about motherhood? This chat, this question stumps me because I feel like there should be like a big whammy. And I just feel like there's probably a laundry list of things. <laughs> um, I mean, everyone talks about how your heart, you don't think you could love as much as you do. So I've experienced that, but I feel like everybody says that. And I think that's most apparent in those early days, weeks when you're like up at all, like you're, you're really being tested and trialed of new challenge and can you still smile through it? And maybe some days you don't, it's really hard, but okay then yeah. Yeah, exactly. But some days that you you surprise yourself that you're just like this little human makes you smile with glee as much as I mean, and all the 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 basic milestones when, you know, around two months they smile or generally they do. So you're like, oh, I really need this now. So then that (laughs) that smile like gives you like a thousand more hours of energy. And then, you know, eventually then they giggle. It's like evolution encouraging you on. (laughs) Absolutely. So I've I didn't know a a tremendous amount about just, you know, baby and childhood development stuff. So I've learned it a lot in witnessing my own daughter. In this sort of first year, first 14 months, what has been 
maybe a big struggle or hurdle that you've overcome? Mm. Um, so for me, as I describe my, once I got pregnant, that went smoothly and my birth, um, to me went smoothly too. Um, I wanted to have a home birth and I did have a home birth. I mean, not that it's all about willpower, but, um, I got kind of personally a little bit wary about having to go into the hospital setting by the time I was giving birth. So I was happy we could stay home and it went very smoothly. There's stories about that on my Instagram account if people want to read and see. (laughs) Um, But the week two, I got mastitis. So I'd say as much as as a doula, we've tried to prepare our clients for what life will be once baby comes. This is a lot of prep and talk about the birth and being ready for that. But what about, you know, the 18 years that follow that? So, <laughs> and we don't really try to prep our clients for a full 18 years, but, you know, talk about the first four to six weeks. Traditionally, a doula is kind of in your contract to call up to six weeks, generally postpartum after giving birth. So, yeah, as much as I had talked to clients, it's still a tough transition. But week two, I got mastitis, which was a real kick in the pants. Um, it was also a big wake up call for me with breast health. So lots, you know, again, certain things I talked about, but not experienced. That's something I would be able to talk way more about to clients. Okay, um, yeah. The expectation of, you know, if you plan to breastfeed, what that might look like. And it's... Um, if you have struggles, what that might look like or yeah, decisions so, you might need to make. Yeah. So Skylar was born at home. Look, we kind of joked the first week was real just like in like baby bliss. Week two got mastitis. That sucked. And then week three, we moved. So it was a really busy first month for us. Um, Not country because you guys moved country, but we moved (laughs) apartments here in Vancouver. Um, So we moved when she was 19 days old, which was a bit crazy. Um, My parents did manage to come here from the U.S. So they were here, which was a lifesaver for that move. I guess we would have figured it out otherwise, but that made it a lot more achievable. So mastitis was a big challenge and I was very underslept and I also got like severe bloodshot eyes, like zombie looking eyes at one point early around having mastitis and not an eye infection, but just purely um, over fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. And like literally not closing my eyes for enough hours in a day. So whether you're sleeping or not, I, this is one tip I tell people is, you know, even if you're not sleeping, let yourself close your eyes. So, ah. you know, the don't look at your phone, don't read a Kindle. This is where podcasts can be great because right. you might listen to content if you're wanting to um, or nothing. But yeah, little closing your eyes so that your eyes can relubricate. Oh, that's <laughs> so. Oh man, uh, <laughs> that is not a tip that I knew I needed to have, but or that the listener yeah. needed to have, but that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was a big, and maybe I learned my. I'm sorry that that uh, comes from personal experience that you're sharing. No, it's but. okay. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, it was not painful. It just looked horrendous, and um, luckily, my husband, well, for better or worse, he wears glasses, so he does have an ophthalmologist. So I could. I got in to talk with an op, and this was one perk of the pandemic that you know telehealth appointments were happening. So I was able to speak, send photographs of my eyes to this ophthalmologist, and then we had a, I don't, 
I think we spoke over video or that was an option, but she was able with, without seeing me directly in person, prescribe me eye drops for that. So, um, but yeah, the, as, as an architecture student, you do learn the art of all nighters. That's not uncommon in that line of, um, university college studying pulling all nighters. So I was not on, I had done that in my lifetime, but to Just do not them, that many times consecutively. In yeah. A row. <laughs> yeah. Not doing them 10 to 14 days in a row. So, yeah. Okay. So let's roll off of that then, because maybe you have some good ones. I'm, I'm going to be asking everyone that comes on the show to give me some of their must haves for mothers, whether it's for new mothers or wherever you are in your experience right now. But so, yeah, what were those things that like got you through? So, yeah, well, I thought this would be a stumper too, but now that they're kind of coming. So yeah, the closing the eyes, which then for me, I'm an eye mask person for sleep. So having an eye mask, mm, I okay. even if it's a basic one, because um, in those early days and weeks, it's all about getting daytime, daylight hour sleep. So for me, blocking out so eye masks are good. I have a few ones that go, you know, will stay on your head no matter where you're leaning or a weighted pillow that has lavender. Um, ah, if you're wanting to commit to like, nice. I'm just going to lay flat and like, let the, let that for me is that really relaxes the eyes, getting that pressure on your eyes. So eye masks are yeah, good. It's like in- a weighted blanket for sure. your face. Yes. Yes. For your face. <laughs> um, so Anyone listening, if you want a, something to give someone who's out to have a baby, getting them a nice eye mask um, could be a great one. Um, and then I remember uh, everyone, if you breastfeed, I mean, whether you breastfeed longer term or not, um, most likely milk will come in at some point. So and you may or may not leak. So um, someone gave to me those reusable breast pads yeah, that I had those would too. slip in a bra or I would just slip them in my tank tops. So those those are good ones, but that's not so eye-opening. Um, you recommended to me, actually, the haka. That's what it's called, right? Oh, the haka? yeah. You yeah, recommended okay. that to me, and that was great. That was, yeah. Yeah, um, so we can plug the haka again. That's I, H-A-K-A-A, I think it was. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, H-A-A-K-A-A. Oh, there we it's, go. Yeah, created in New Zealand. So they're, they came out since I became a doula um, in 2016, I mean, they were around, but I feel like they were just everywhere. And now there's other companies that are making competing products, but yeah, that one is great. Um, for anyone I'd say listening, I use it's it. literally, that's literally just like a suction cup for your boob, sort of like you like. Yeah. It collects residual milk. It's not an electronic pump. And um, also, when I had mastitis, clogged, or even if you have a clogged milk duct, but not full-on mastitis, Haka, there's, I'll have to send you the link, but there's, I used it to help. You can make like a very concentrated warm salt bath inside the haka and then you suction it on and it draws the milk out. And it's very cool to watch because you just see the milk like plume into the water and you're like, oh, it's kind of beautiful and it's helping heal my boobs. So this is great. Um, So, yeah, those those are like 20, 30 bucks. Um, You know, there's varieties, but they're not that expensive and they can be used in a lot of different ways. I had a tray, like if you 
you know, glamorously were having breakfast in bed, you might bring it all to yourself or someone brings it to you on a tray. But I had this tray that was kind of just my go-to stuff. So I had my nipple cream on there, the huckas that were, you know, hopefully cleaned by somebody <laughs> else, but ready to go for the next time. And um, some snacks. I used a bike water bottle that's like the squeezy ones so they don't leak. Like that was just around staying hydrated is a big thing so i had this tray of my supplies and i did get a little obsessive over it where i'd be like where's my tray (laughs) or Or occasionally i did a lot of breastfeeding on our couch early on because that's where i could sideline feed skylar and that worked um and then eventually you know different locations but it helped. Mostly everything lived in the tray, so it could be brought to me wherever I was if I was in another location. Oh, one one other quick one. Not so much a product, but a service. We hired we hired all the doulas, which was one of your questions that's getting sprinkled in. We had a birth doula, we had a postpartum doula, and we hired a food doula. A food doula. The woman we hired, I think she's taking a pause from her work right now, but... Um, she basically, you could hire for however long, but she cooked meals for a week's worth and delivered it. And then you just had, it was mo- like mostly the dinners, but some other like snacky things. But you talked to her and she could kind of fine tune the, the meal plan with you. Um, that was that was amazing because it was just a matter of John would reheat it and then we could have an actually home cooked meal. And we actually ate together, which might be really hard to come by early on. And in prep for talking with you, I kept remembering <laughs> one day I visited you and you're like, our neighbors brought us food. It was so amazing. And I was just um, going to say, like, I want to give a shout out simple, like, downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, <clears throat> I mean, so I do, it's all, you know, there's extra expense, but I feel like, um, yeah, that's more of an experience thing than a tangible item. But that that was really, that was worth its weight in gold. And family that weren't able to be here, they were really willing to contribute toward things. That like, if that's going to help you survive, oh, okay. we want to contribute toward it, which was one of your other yeah. questions. But um, yeah, getting people to contribute toward services and not just things is um hugely helpful and you know if people want to buy you a gift they might equally be willing to contribute to sort of something like that so okay let's roll let's Mm -hmm. roll off of that then into the last sort of questions that i have so when it came time for us to decide to get a doula for the birth um you know that was something Mm -hmm. that we we had to sit down and talk about and we had to we had to do some financial planning around it because it was not um, something, it was not an expense that we had sort of mapped into the first couple of months of having mm-hmm. a child. And it ended up being yeah. entirely worth, like you said, it's weight in gold for us. <laughs> but there are barriers in place um, for mm-hmm. access to a doula. So can you, can you talk a little bit, can we talk a little bit about that? Like what barriers are currently in the way of just anybody who would love to have the support of a doula at their birth or after their birth. Yeah, I think, um, so yeah, it's primarily usually going to fall into a a financial barrier. I mean, there are ranges of what people charge, um, but in the creative, um, so I work, 
independently as a doula with my yoga practice, but I also work with three other doulas under the name doulas of Vancouver. So we actually, um, there's a blog post in our content about this, about how to afford a doula. And so I'd love to share that by um, the way. I'd love to, to get the link for that so sure. I can share it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. If people have a baby shower or mother blessing or whatever you want to call it, um, yeah, having more creative um, baby registries and not mm. just sure. We said we said a haka is very useful and it is, but it's twenty twenty thirty bucks, you know. Or maybe you get one hand me down or on Facebook Marketplace for five dollars. I don't know. So, but maybe someone could put that twenty or thirty dollars towards investing in a doula. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it, I mean, idea. to pay for the the lump sum of that fee might be too much for one friend or family member, but knowing that, yeah, twenty thirty dollars can contribute toward that, and it sure it makes. So we had, um, I think, because of being a doula. Well, although I had a lot of people ask, "Are you are you hiring a doula? Like, or do you just doula yourself?" <laughs> and I thought, "Heck no, I do not just doula myself." But um, I had that question from a lot of people, and I thought about writing a blog post <laughs> about should. it, which maybe one day. Um, I think we had budgeted for a birth doula and probably a postpartum doula, but we did. I think I, yeah, I had listed like contribute toward this service, so postpartum doula, food doula, and we described it and put the links, and so people could give any amount, or maybe you had a you know, what is the total amount so people knew what we're aiming toward, but they could contribute any amount. So I do think that is very valuable. And not to say that everybody has like a list of 20 people wanting to give them stuff, but maybe or maybe even just a few people. So any amount might help just, you know, take your personal cost off of it a bit. So that's the creative way to do I think that's a really good one to do. A lot of people care about you. And I know you guys were living abroad when you had Oscar. So it's, and then, you know, family wasn't able to get into the country easily uh, during the pandemic, which is, you know, challenging and emotionally challenging. Um, So if you can, if it's a hired person to offer that support, then, um, yeah, it might be what people really want to give you if they are like, we want to do something and we want it to be helpful. So for someone maybe like me who going into it or beforehand really knew nothing or not a lot at all about what a doula was, other than it was kind of a funny sounding word and they helped with with labor in some <laughs> way. Um, it really was a game changer for us to connect with you and and have you come in before, mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. and after our birth experiences. If my husband was was here, he would rave about it, about the experience as well and how much it helped him. So, yeah, to anyone, anyone listening who's like on the fence or would like to do a little bit more research, um, I'll try to include some resources in the show notes about being a doula and having a doula. And and hopefully from the interview, Mm -hmm. they were able to, you know, maybe lean lean more towards how that might be possible for for them. Well, Liza, it's been so nice to catch up with you today and to see you for the first time, actually, since we finished working together. Same. Nice to see you. (laughs) I wish you all the best and your family, and I hope that we can connect again soon. Take care. Okay. Take care. Mamas, we made it. Now you know a little bit more about me and what this podcast is going to be all about. 
I want to thank you again for listening. And if you know somebody who had or is having a pandemic pregnancy or postpartum experience and might relate to some of what we talked about today, please share this episode so that they can download it and listen to it as well. I hope you'll consider joining the Raise Your Hand Motherhood community so we can keep getting real together about some of the tougher parts of motherhood. Because even though we all love our children or our future children dearly, a duality still exists. And the more difficult feelings and thoughts and emotions of motherhood that often feel like they don't have a place to go, they need to be shared and we need to support all the women that are experiencing them. Because in all likelihood, we are them and we definitely know them. Hey, speaking of sharing, don't forget to click that subscribe button and tell a friend or two about the podcast. The more moms, the merrier. All right, that's it for today. Thanks for raising your hand with me, mamas. Until next time. Hey, Mama, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I made it for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can hang out together again soon.